0: Hebrews chapter 9, and I hope you're there now. We will put some of the scriptures on the screen for you as well. One of the more familiar texts, I think, in all of scripture, which is also one of the most misquoted, or at least misapplied, is the very solemn statement in Hebrews chapter 9. And you'll notice verse 27. It says, And as it is appointed unto men wants to die. But after this, the judgment. And again, beloved, very familiar words and almost always quoted by some preacher or teacher who's highlighting man's appointment with death and man's judgment following death. And you know, that's true enough. However, that is not the point the Holy Spirit emphasizes in this actual text. Which of course is why when preachers and teachers quote this verse, they usually leave out the first two words. The words and as, and they simply say, It is appointed unto man once to die. Like my preacher voice, but that's what they say. And that's good. However, as any English student can tell you, the word as right there is connected to the first word of the next word of the next verse, the word so. It's a very typical conjunction. As people change, so languages change. As Jimmy eats too much Easter chocolate, so does Tommy with the Christmas chocolate. And so it goes. Which tells us that whatever God says in verse 27, beloved, its primary application is found in verse 28. Notice the common word once in the two verses. Here's verse 27. They'll have it on the screen. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered. You see that? As it is appointed unto men once, so Christ was once offered. This is the connection in this extremely powerful and enlightening portion of God's Word. I remind you that the book of Hebrews talks a lot about Hebrews. This entire chapter 9 is all about Old Testament sacrifices and the ordinances and the Mosaic law and the tabernacle and how all of that was intended by God all along to picture Christ and God's will to make heaven available to sinners like you and me. It brings us back to our text and to three indispensable truths on this Sunday morning. There are actually three sets of two words, and the first one you'll notice, number one, are the words after this Verse 27 says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this. Now, folks, just think about those two words for a moment. Today, golfers will play the 87th Masters at Augusta. And after this, the U.S. Open in L.A. There's something after Augusta. Next month. Bethany and Ben, and Lincoln will graduate high school after this. Chick-fil-A for those guys. <laughs> <clears throat> I remember as a boy, I went to a Boy Scout dinner with my dad at the officer's club at Patrick Air Force Base, and, and I got so bored that I broke up the styrofoam cup into tiny little pieces and held it in my right hand. And at the right moment, I, <coughs> I coughed it up all over his fellow airmen. And I got the response I wanted, ah! you know some people laughed but not my dad he just glared at me and he said eat your food we have an important talk after this (laughs) uh oh it is appointed unto Jimmy once to prank and after this the judgment for sure (laughs) you know how in the old westerns the camera would zoom in on some gunslinger and just show his hand you know lingering over his pistol my eyes always zoomed on my dad's hand hovering over his belt amen Now, wait a minute. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die and after this. After what? Well, after death. There's something. After we die. You know, it is in the oldest book in the Bible that one of the greatest men in the Bible asks a question. Job 14, 14, Job says, if a man die, shall he live again? If a man dies, shall he live again? In other words, is there an after this? Well, we know what Thomas Huxley would say because he invented the word agnostic from the Greek root word, and that means unknown. His answer to Job's question is, I don't know. The materialist and the atheist would answer no. There's no after this, which is more wishful thinking, obviously, than it is any kind of knowledge. And the scientist, if he's a real scientist, he wouldn't answer the question at all. His lips are sealed. If a man die, shall he live again? Is there an after this? Well, I can tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then he said this, if it were not so, I would have told you. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. In other words, as our text proclaims, yes, of course there's an after this. Folks, do you really think that a child trafficking murderer will live his entire life doing evil and after this there's zero justice? That Christians who were burned at the stake by bloodthirsty murderers in blood sport go to the same end that the ones who murdered them go to? No. There's an after this. And it leads us to the second set of words, and those are the words once offered. You'll notice verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment Verse 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Now, wait a minute. Because, beloved, we cannot miss, we cannot afford to miss what God is saying here. Why is it important that just as man has an appointment with death once, it's appointed unto man once to die, so too did Christ die only once. By the way you'll notice this is a theme in this chapter not some passing thought. Verse 25 says this, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered the holy place every year. No he doesn't do that. Verse 26, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once, once. So here's this critical truth, hear it carefully. In God's first covenant, as a picture of man's sin and the coming atonement, the Old Testament priests had to offer these sacrifices. Lots and lots of varied offerings. Along with all of those was, of course, the Passover lamb that our neighbors commemorated Wednesday night and Thursday. But you see, these sacrifices were endless They were a constant reminder that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, constantly searching out bullocks and lambs. It was relentless. It was a never-ending, almost daily exercise of atonement. And yet with all of it, it was never enough. In fact, it was never meant to be enough. And you know why? Because no amount of ritual or sacrament or religion or effort or offering can ever permanently atone for all our sins. You see folks, hear this carefully. People, this is a misconception. People are not sinners because they sin. We sin because we are sinners. It's who we are, it's what we are, it's our very nature. We have a lot of dogs in our in our neighborhood and they bark. Well, you know what? Barking doesn't make them dogs. They bark because they're dogs. And yes, some of them bark louder than others, and some of them bark more often than others, but they bark because they're dogs. And yes, beloved, it is true. Some sinners seem worse than others. Some sinners do more than others. But we are all still sinners. And this is why no amount of external ritual or religion does anything about the heart, the internal. That is our nature. I remember reading Joe Henry Hankins talking about witnessing to his doctor. His doctor felt that, you know, he basically, you know, I may have sinned here and there, but I'm not truly a sinner like other people I know. That's, that was his own testimony. And Joe Hankins, the great preacher, asked him a question. He said, Doc, what's the strongest poison that you know of? His doctor said potassium cyanide. And Brother Hankins said, Well, Doc, how much potassium cyanide would a man have to drink in order for it to kill him and he said well it's so strong that if you took the stopper this is in the old days you took the stopper out of the bottle touched the blood vessels underneath your tongue you wouldn't live long enough put the stopper back into the bottle and Brother Hankins said what difference then would it make if the man drank the entire bottle and his doctor said I understand where you're going A man doesn't have to commit every sin in the catalog to be spiritually dead. All have sinned, and all come short of the glory of God. And this is the reason, beloved, that you cannot offer sacrifices. You cannot continually, constantly bring these these blood offerings to the Lord, and it satisfies forever. No amount of religious observance could ever permanently remove the death sentence from the poison of our sin. And that, as they say, is the bad news. The good news this morning, of course, is in these two words, once. Once offered, the Bible says, the Lord Jesus, hear me carefully, the Lamb of God was once, one time, offered for the sins of man. And that sacrifice was enough. Verse 26. It says, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth in the holy place every year with blood of others. For then, here's verse 26, then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, here it is, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As Philip Bliss wrote those beautiful words, free from the law, oh happy condition, Jesus hath bled, and there is remission, cursed by the law and bruised by the fall. Grace hath redeemed us once for all. The first two words we noted are after this. The second two words are once offered. The last two words I want you to notice are the words unto salvation. Here's verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment, so, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, folks, let us consider very carefully what the Holy Spirit is actually saying in this verse. What does he mean? Why in the world close this chapter with the promise of the second coming? And why does it say this time when he comes, he's coming, quote, without sin and, quote, unto salvation? Why? It's really very simple. A few verses before this, the Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus is right now, at this very moment, currently in the presence of the Father. Jesus is not on a cross, he is not in a tomb as a martyr. He is in heaven as a Savior and a mediator. And so this is what it says in verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now, right now, to appear in the presence of God, look at these two words, for us. In other words, if you're saved, Jesus is your mediator, your advocate. He's basically your attorney, so that if Satan wants to accuse you, Look at that Barry over there. He's a sinner. He's condemned. Jesus says, No. No, he's not. My blood, my sacrifice was applied to him by faith. And as I said to Nicodemus, he that believeth is not condemned. There is no accusation. So here's why there's a verse 28 and the mention of the second coming. Right now, Jesus is alive. Not only is the Lord Jesus alive, he's in heaven as our our Savior and our advocate. That means that he saves us from the penalty of sin. That's why Satan can't accuse this man or anybody else in this room who has trusted Christ as Savior. He saves us from the penalty of sin. Not condemned is the verdict. He also saves us through his Spirit and his Word from the power of sin. That's why Christians are different. Not perfect. we are different. But you see what verse 28 is talking about. Is that one day he's also going to save us from the presence of sin. He's going to come back and without sin he saves us unto that salvation. This, beloved, is the ultimate final glory of salvation. You know something? There are obviously, beloved, a lot of good reasons. There are a lot of motivating factors for why any sane person would want to be saved. Many of you in this room are not saved. You've been putting off, you've been arguing about it, you've been debating it, and, and, and you have your reasons. But there are, there are no good reasons not to. And one of the most obvious reasons why any sane person would want to be saved is this. Now, there are other reasons. Who wants to face eternity in hell as a lost person? That's a reason. Who wants to live this life as a child of the devil, which is what any lost person the Bible says truly is. Who wants to remain a sinner for all of eternity? There are a lot of reasons to run to Christ. But one of them is what it says in verse 28. Jesus shall appear. The second time without sin unto salvation. In other words, listen, look around this world, folks. Take a long, hard look at our country, our society, and the world at large. Notice this world growing without God. The inmates are running the asylum. The hyenas have the key to the zoo. So that you know what? Exactly as Paul prophesied, as the Bible told us would happen, in the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Jesus said in the last days, the love of many shall wax cold. What was he talking about? The natural love, the God-given love that parents have for children, that husbands have for wives, that wives have for their husbands, that siblings, the natural God-given love, the Bible says, is going to wax cold and be replaced with perversion. It's become a cult of despair and depravity. And after this, the judgment. Why would you want to run to Christ? Because Jesus is coming again to save us from the presence of sin. Glory forever. Someone sent me a video the other day, Friday, of Alice Cooper. Yes, that Alice Cooper. The Alice Cooper who released his album, Alice Cooper Goes to Hell, my senior year of high school. My brother went to his concert, painted his face red with a marker and broke out and almost died. But he said, but hey, Jimmy, I got Alice Cooper's attention. He waved at me. I thought, oh, okay, that's worth it. In this recent video, however, he says that he used to think, I want to go to hell because I'm just going to go there and get high with Jim Morrison. Can't wait. You know, this whole thing, I'll be with my friends. He said, one day I realized that that's not how judgment is going to be at all. And I realized, he said in this video, that Satan's been lying to me my entire life. And now I only want to turn to Christ. I mean, even Alice Cooper wants to run from the gathering storms and darkness of this world. Someone sent me another video yesterday. Two country ladies, or a lady and a dude, I think, singing a song called The Devil's in a Phone Book, darling 911. And there are some lyrics for you right there. Amen. <laughs> hey, it said, Loose the Holy Ghost and loose the sun. The devil's in a phone book, darling 911. Right. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, That's a devil. No, I don't think that's how it's going to happen. First responders are not going to deal with the devil, but Jesus is. He's coming again without sin unto salvation. Last Sunday night we observed communion. And our text, you may recall, is verse 12 of this same text. Chapter 9, look at it. It says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves But by his own blood, he entered once once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now we are free. There's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come unto me, O hear his sweet call. Come, and he saves us once for all. Philip Bliss was 38 years of age, and after he wrote those lyrics, he and his wife were on a train, and they were traveling in the winter of 1876 on their way to sing for evangelistic services for D.L. Moody in Chicago. And as the Ashtabula Bridge collapsed, their train derailed and caught fire, and they were both ushered into eternity. It was Philip Bliss who wrote the music to It Is Well With My Soul. We said they were ushered into eternity, and they were. But not before they were ready for their appointment. Not before they knew it was well with their soul. Not before they have attained eternal redemption. Jesus entered once He gave his blood once. He was resurrected once. And he is the one and only one who can save you and give to you eternal redemption. See, Pastor Blalock, how? How do I receive it? If God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If it's a gift, how do I receive it? We're going to help you. We're going to show you how to do that as we close. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. It's a beautiful Lord's Day morning on a Sunday in South Florida. But amidst all of the beauty and the newness and the flowers and the dresses, children, there is the reminder that it's appointed unto men once to die. And there's an after this. I assure you, dear friend, you do not want to stand at that judgment Having rejected Jesus Christ, God's Son, as your Savior. He came once, and He will save you. You can stand in the holy presence of God if the blood of the Lamb of God has been applied to you. And as we just noted in John 3 16, that's to those who believeth. Pastor Black, I'm here today and I am saved. I've accepted Christ as my Savior and I know it, but God has spoken to my heart about something. As a Christian, who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building? And God bless you, all of you who are saved. Amen. Obviously, many of you watching at home or in this room could not honestly raise your hand and say, I'm saved. With heads bowed, eyes closed, who would say this morning, Pastor Blake? I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I'm on my way to heaven. But I want to be sure. I need to be sure. It's appointed on the man once to die. Everybody, Everybody has an appointment with death. And there's an after this. The after this can be, as Paul said, present with the Lord. Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'd like to be sure. Would you pray for me? I won't embarrass you or come to you. I just want to pray. Who would say that? God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Join their hands. God bless you and God bless you. Praise the Lord. Any others? Raise them up there. Don't be ashamed embarrassed. God bless you. Amen. At home, where you are. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. The choir will sing together the song. We mentioned a moment ago, and not the choir, but the congregation and all of you. I want you to think about the words and sing them, especially those of you who are believers. The altar is here for those of you who are saved. Maybe you need to pray for someone you love. What better day, God will honor those prayers, what better day to pray than on this day commemorating the resurrection. Pray for someone who's lost, a loved one, a friend. Maybe you just want to come and kneel at the altar and thank God for your salvation. Or maybe it's joining the church, baptism, that's something public. And for sure, if you raise your hand and said, I'm not sure I'm saved, Brother Andy here is at the front. He would love to take the scriptures and show you what it means to be saved. Father, bless the invitation. We commit it as always into your hands and we thank you for your word. Thank you that you so love the world that you sent your only begotten son. And we're so grateful that he died on that cross. The choir sang beautifully about moments ago. We're so grateful that he was the perfect, sinless son of God, the lamb of God who shed his blood for men. And we thank you that he rose again for our justification. And for those who've asked for prayer, Lord, you know their hearts. Continue to speak to their hearts and use us to that end as well. Bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.